0: Friday when I used to call a lot I would run into the people that I couldn't get a hold of during the week but now nobody else is in the office so I'm getting a hold of that person specifically because he's the last
1: person in the office I've never used scripts really yeah I find scripts are very easy to tell from the other side of the line if you have to you know tweak this look at that let's change this this that nope you know when you're starting real estate you gotta hit home runs there's actually a study if you're sitting beside someone that's productive and that likes what they do your productivity will likely go up by 15 percent. and if you're sitting next to someone that's negative that complains that's not very positive about their work your productivity goes down by 35 (laughs) percent
0: what's up everybody welcome to another episode of the experience podcast and today we have a very special guest it's mr yaniv Torgman. this man is incredible he's in his mid-20s super young guy and he's already built an amazing company that does residential leases for apartment buildings they have two thousand units in inventory that they're helping clients lease so this guy is at the top of his game, they also have about 30 agents on payroll. So this is a young up-and-coming guy, super hungry, super motivated at the top of his game in real estate in Montreal and, you know, building a company right before our eyes that is employing many, many people and doing massive things in the Montreal commercial real estate field. So you won't want to miss this episode. It's incredible. Stay tuned. Maybe take us back to, you know, the beginning before even first days before your airbnb business before everything
1: and then start from there for sure so uh, the life trajectory i have was not what i expected to have at all i was in university uh, finance uh, you know i was gonna go into the corporate life it was i had nothing else in mind that's where i met uh, gabriel my business partner and my best friend and we uh you know we were you know always hustling but not in a business sense. We were, you know, looking for the right internships, networking, and like we were doing this and we didn't even realize like the skills it took. And after, you know, later on, I those experiences, I was like, wow, like the stuff I pulled off, even if it was super in a corporate way, it helped me so much. But, you know, we got into, you know, getting full-time internships in finance, uh, possibly getting return offers. We were both in our finance internships in September 2019. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I was working in a pension fund in real estate. That's where I got my interest yes. in real estate. Gabe was, uh, he was working also in finance. Uh, he was financial analyst in uh, a large uh, invest- investor, an institutional investor. And uh, yeah, we were just, you know, brainstorming all the time about different things we, we knew this stuff wasn't for us so much but it was still like subconscious and after he he met someone and he, they discussed about airbnb the guy made it seem so easy he said uh you know he wasn't doing much making a few thousand bucks a month with one apartment gab brought it up to me he's like we should try to do this I'm like, okay, let's, let's do this. We rented one. Actually, it was down the street from where I had my internship. Nice. So I felt like the biggest imposter <laughs> going down for lunch, checking if cleaning was done, if everything was good. And, you know, we did one, two, three. We, we scaled fast forward a bit. And then April 2020, tourism halt. Yeah. Pandemic zero. Reservations canceled. Airbnb really went on the side of the guests and not on the hosts. It was a big deal, but all the money was taken out from the host pockets. So we were all left hanging with nothing. And uh, at that point, we actually, before we, you know, it's leases. So you're committed legally to renting apartments from an owner, re-renting it, but you have to pay the rent. And we actually got super lucky because a few months before that, I, you know me and Gabriel were speaking we're like this this model is so leveraged like we're just two individuals not even a company it's our personal names we have these leases under our names and somehow we got out of most of them and wow it, yeah and we wanted to focus more on like the management style of of doing that business which we did
0: and that's uh, well, and you that got out. you got out of these leases you got out of them it was like randomly you just approached them and asked to get out of them
1: or, or no. did, was the lease up for renewal or? No, most of it was, you know, um, parties. Of oh, people okay, that. <laughs> so they terminated <laughs> <Yeah>. the lease. <laughs> <laughs> some of them, they terminated. Some of them, they gave us the option. Do you guys want to keep it? It was subleases. But it all made like it all happened in our favor. But we could have kept all of them. We just we were like, let's, let's do management. Let's take something where we have less risk. We still make some money but we're not too exposed and um yeah we started having a few under management 2025 and we're like what do we do with this we do have apartments we are property managers they're empty we can get people in these apartments and rent them so we did that but room by room to really make sure we get the most in rent because we were these owners also were renting them. Some of them were renting them at above market rents because they were allowed to operate that business from these units. And so the rents, we, we had to break even and it was hard to break even. So we had to rent them room by room and not buy an entire unit. And also immigration was at zero. Students were gone. So very limited pool of tenants in the city. And, you know, we pulled it off. We It was it was a bit of a mess. We didn't really know much about what we were doing.
2: Screening was done <coughs> not so well and you got about you said 20, yeah, 2025 yeah 2020 and how did you guys really like you know that's a big jump from like zero to starting out to yeah. getting to 20. how did you guys kind of get those first 20 we were
1: always super aggressive in the way we uh we tried to do biz dev we never really uh limited ourselves. you know once they're set up they're rolling and you can really go on to the next one easily and especially if you're not like financially committed like when you're managing them so yeah it wasn't uh it wasn't too complicated and it was quick it was done in like three four months wow yeah but um yeah so we started renting them room by room to tenants and then we realized like okay this is a this is an interesting model and we started doing it after for you know triplexes sixplexes how do you even rent room by room you it's the same channels just different search categories and but the people that rent rooms sometimes are questionable and (laughs) it could lead to issues, which we learned in, uh, in practice. And we just got out of that completely. And we, we strictly, uh, rented like entire units after that whole episode.
0: And so that, that was actually
1: my next question. How did, how did you transition between the two? It was super progressive. We had one person who we had many apartments with and Uh, it it was we were very like exposed business-wise to that person so we knew that like it was tricky with that situation and we uh it was very progressive but we had a moment where we had zero and we just had to start up again but you know we it was it was honestly our timing was pretty good because no one was able to rent back then that's why we were were positioned where we are today and uh the market didn't exist we were the first people to do this in a way like, no one was specialized in residential leasing. You have brokers. They ver- they're they very good at buying and selling. Renting is kind of, okay, if there's something, I'll do it. If I'm busy, I won't. Um, and you have some, like, people that do, it, like, freelancing style. They'll do it for, like, a family friend. But no, like, direct service that does this on, like, a larger scale.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I noticed that completely. Like, there's not many companies at all that offer the service that you guys offer, and it's also super unique the way you guys offer that service. So let, let's get into your current business. Like, maybe you could go into more detail about
1: exactly what it is. Yeah, for sure. So our company, First Days, uh, after that episode, I'll say it, we've been doing business for four years, but First Days has been going on really for three years. We're a leasing agency, we specialize in multi-residential projects. So no individual condos, no single units, really, uh, you know, larger value add projects, so renovation projects where there's a large amount of units that just got renovated and now more recently very specialized in uh, new developments, rental new developments. Nice. So, you know, we have at this time uh, 2,000 vacant apartments in inventory. Wow. Wow. It's, it's a very large uh, portfolio of apartments. Um,
2: all in Montreal?
1: All in Montreal, yeah. And some uh, on the South Shore and the North Shore, but very specialized in Montreal. And we have a team of 20 full-time leasing agents.
0: Nice. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. And then, so what happens is, I guess you run ads, you run like social media marketing ads, then you get leads that come in. Then what you'll do with these leads is you'll propose the specific property, I guess, that they were interested in, that they saw in the ad. And then if they say no, you'll offer whatever other products that you guys have that could be of interest to this person. Right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. So that's the strength of our network is we're very uh, we're a small group, centralized, but exposed to a very large share of the market. So we can really do this cross selling thing easily, which uh, no company, no developer, no internal team can really do because they don't have the products and they just don't have the, the logistic capacity of doing it. Yeah. So that's really the big edge that no one can compete with. And whether it's a developer himself or a competitor, it's like the system is like, like kind of very big now and we're able to do this on every, every project.
0: Yeah, it's super interesting, man. It's crazy what you guys have been able to scale to since 2019. It's nuts. Mm-hmm. And and that was actually a question that I had, because I know that you don't need a license to do leasing. And that doesn't concern you at all when it comes to competition and people competing with you? No, it's actually
1: uh, it's a re- so that the license thing, it's recent. I think it's in 2018. You're able to sign off a lease without being the owner or a broker but either way we we don't even sign off leases there're always there's a company rep who signs them off and um in terms of competition it's it's a very uh it's a market where there's a lot of different players at different levels so it, it, no not really we're not we're not very worried about uh, we've never been worried about competition honestly
0: nice yeah and and you do publicize all the clients that you're working with or that maybe you're less outspoken about
1: well we publicize the properties, the clients, you know, there's a lot of private investors. We need to be a little bit more discreet with the, the individuals themselves. But you can see a good part of the portfolio we have on our website. We, we recently did a major rebranding and yeah, we're a little bit more uh, public as well. Nice. Yeah.
2: Love it.
0: Yeah. And your clients like uh, we, we have also uh, we have a bunch of clients that are super similar. Like, how do you approach these guys? Like, you had a specific strategy for for how you add value.
1: Yeah, so um, already th- the way you uh, you speak to people is super important. Just to touch on that first, um, I'm not I'm not gonna speak to uh, a REIT, so a real estate investment trust, in the same manner that I'm gonna speak to a private investor. You have to really adapt to your crowd, and you know know. Uh, know what each person stands for and also, you know, what each of their goals are. And it's like they have the dif- different degrees of risk. They have, you know, different kinds of open mindedness. So that's y- something you have to be uh, super self-aware about. And um, in terms of approaching them in what way.
0: Well, actually, a good example would be
1: how do you approach an institution versus a private guy? Yeah, for sure. So um, the institution is just about finding the one right person. It t- that's the ho- Once you have the point of contact,
2: that's when you're ready to close. Interesting. And how do you usually find that one person? LinkedIn tools or is it yeah, like a... For sure, Sales Navigator
1: uh, on LinkedIn, like the premium LinkedIn uh, website for sales, in case people don't know what that is. And uh, it's really... Uh, it's hard because sometimes you have two companies that are identical in one of them, you know, the VP of partnerships is not going to be the same kind of partnerships as another VP. Of p- so you have to look at uh, job description lines. So there's specific responsibilities and also maybe sometimes going on indeed finding that position, trying to find the position, the job description points and seeing if it's relevant to so for example finding on indeed an old ad of let's say a vp of biz dev and you'll find it and you'll see uh, involved in uh, any strategic partnership with external suppliers (laughs) and then even if he's not going to have that on his linkedin profile you'll know that yeah so that's like one strategy interesting um common connections too that helps not in a way where if there's common connections it's the right person but you know, it's easier to approach someone through a referral. You see someone
2: of interest. Hey, can you put me in touch with this guy? I'm trying to get in with this. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm curious because you're, like, very well educated in regards to finding these positions. Did you, like, was this all through trial and error that you discovered these techniques? Or was it more like you found a program? Because we're very big on, like, learning, reading, education courses. For this, I've never seen personally. I don't know about you, but... How did you kind of like discover these are the things that we need to do in order to get the success? Was it through trial and error or did you kind of study off other people?
1: Yeah, it's trial and error, but not related to what I do now. So before doing this, I've done five, six different cold calling positions since I'm 14. I've been doing these kinds of jobs. In what uh, industries just out of curiosity so i did security systems i did bank surveys i did merchant cash advances i did wi-fi systems i did uh hotel wi-fi systems i did uh what else uh group insurance plans um my goodness yeah those are <laughs> all <goodness>. different positions <laughs> yeah i always kept those jobs for like two three months got fired didn't produce <laughs> but every single time i learned more and i knew i loved sales I just didn't know how it was gonna apply it, but yeah, and uh, that's that's really where I learned all these different strategies, softwares, how to find the lead. Uh, obviously, you know, you through fi- through doing these positions, you're getting paid for commissions. You're gonna look into you know different YouTube videos that are gonna try and you know help you, but yeah, all of them I feel that all of them were terrible, but it, it that's really what helped me. Uh,
2: your your I past did. jobs, kind yeah. of shaped you guys. Plus, I'm assuming your business partner as well. Um, he did sales as well. Uh, he has less of a sales background. He actually he, he had a company
1: before. He really he learned like a lot of different facets of operating a business before I did. And uh, it was less sales. It was more tech, a tech product. And he was like building the product. He was doing sales, but not like the outbound cold calling type of sales. But yeah, we're, we have very different skill sets and we're extremely complimentary. But he, uh, he he really brought very different things than me to the table. And that's why we uh, we've been able to get to where we are today.
0: Nice. Yeah. I want to get into the partnership, but yeah. give us the juice on this stuff. What is uh, give us a bunch of stuff that you think are the most important lessons that you've learned throughout all these jobs and, and also trial trial
1: and error with your current business? um yeah for sure so honestly number one very 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 hard to succeed in a service business without uh, the skill of cold calling it's just it's the number one thing that i would suggest to anyone who uh is trying to to get something done if you're unable to cold call you can do everything else well but you might not make money, but if you're terrible at operations at marketing at you know hiring but you're a master cold caller you will make money you will succeed in a way i I think it's like the most important tool and it's very underlooked it's you know people today are more and more comfortable and it's an extremely uncomfortable thing to do but once you break that barrier and you know you you just hit that one call that leads to something and you just get through it, you're, you're unstoppable. That's really the one thing.
0: That's a specific, specific one thing. And then how do you get the data? Like you gave the sales navigator tip. I think that's amazing. How else are you getting data or doing research on people or preparing
1: for the calls? Honestly, there's no real uh, way. It's, uh, you have, you know, a lot of private people with a ton of numbered companies. You can't even get a phone number. There's also very public companies, much easier, but... You know there's this secretary that doesn't want to patch you through and then the guy you're gonna have to leave five voicemails but you kind of have to like plug and play referrals are super strong you know people i find are a little shy to to ask for referrals myself included i'm not a big fan of asking for referrals but it's a little bit more delicate in what i do because people tend to think we're going to focus less Mm. on them if they refer us to someone else who has a similar product. But yeah, asking for referrals. Um,
2: yeah. And now I'm curious for the cold calling, cause I've done it, Michael's done it, clearly you've done it. Is there any tips or tricks for people listening that are getting started out, right? Or do you have a script? Like obviously there's the gatekeeper, right? Like there's the secretary. Do you have for your team when they're calling like a script that you're like, follow this, this is how you kind of break through. Um, Are there any techniques that you use or anything that you can share with the audience to kind of get to the proper person to speak to the decision maker?
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, getting a sense of urgency into the call, making it seem like whoever that person is will miss out on something, or even, you know, saying that The person that you want to speak to will be very thankful for them to passing this call little things like this that uh that will help you get to the next step and uh i would say also not a big fan of scripts i've never used scripts really yeah i find scripts are very easy to tell from the other side of the line i know instantly when i get a call from someone with a script I find it sounds a lot even if the call might be you know a little bit rustier without a script and the person may tell it sounds genuine it sounds more targeted it sounds more intentional they have no idea if you did 50 other calls that day and I just think it's much better to be yourself in the way you communicate have a different approach depending on the sound of the person's voice there's some people that are way bubblier when they give you a hello And you're naturally going to give off that same vibe, but a script paralyzes you. You're not going to pick up on these things because you're going to be so focused on your plan, and you kind of lose sight of those kinds of stuff. So how are you teaching your team then
0: if you're not using a script?
1: Me and Gabriel are the only ones doing biz dev. It's it's not something we we need. We have two kinds of What is biz dev? Sorry. So the the whole cold calling, getting okay. new partnerships. We have two types of sales in our business. It's B two B two C, and we, uh, me and Gabriel, focus really on property uh, owner, property owners. Yeah. That client so acquisition B2B, type. B two B, yeah. Yeah, B two B, and uh, our our team focuses on the leasing. So the visits, the manpower behind us being able to get those mandates and renting out those buildings. But for them, they don't have a script either. They they have a system, okay. The script, you know, it's um, apartments are the most necessary product. You don't need so, like it's not, it like it is sales, but it's much more important in, from a descriptive way. Okay. And honestly, the more salesy you are in that kind of uh, like product sale, more people pick up on it. I'm not a huge fan of overselling uh, housing. You know, if someone feels it, they're gonna feel it. You're, you can walk and not see anything if they they see themselves living there they will yeah i agree
0: i find it's challenging residential because of that that's why I stick to industrial <laughs> it's very emotional you yeah. could walk into a home and it's not it it has different color paint than you would prefer and you might just say no right off the bat instead of thinking you know what I could just repaint this for 500 bucks or a thousand bucks it's just a whole different
1: ball game residential yeah do you find that super challenging? I mean, we, we, we're, we're perfectionists in that part of the business. If the product does not look perfect, we try. We, we're going to be very like limited in like the amount of resources we're going to put into it and everything. But like, let's say new developments, you know, it's a brand new project. Everything is clean. Uh, we're not so worried. We walk in, we know it's it looks nice. It looks clean. There's no yellow paint. There's no cracks in the wall. Someone comes in, they feel it, they have this uh, coup de coeur for the place, that's the big one, and uh, yeah, we're, we're done. You cannot sell at all and close. Yeah, and what's the extent of the services that you offer? Do
0: you do any renovations for your clients or anything like that?
1: No, zero, purely, purely leasing.
0: We're very big on focus. And what's your minimum amount
1: of units that you'll take on from one client? it depends depends if it's a referral um, it depends the kind of project but typically we wouldn't really look at something that at less less than eight vacant units because mm-hmm. the, it's the same like logistical system and the way we're set up and like there has to be an ROI for our time if we're gonna onboard it so yeah eight vacant apartments yeah, And I
2: usually understand. how long does it usually take for like on average, say eight vacant for you guys to you know get get the system rolling and and the client from like the beginning to the finish line roughly a few months really depends
1: you know We're, we don't dictate rents so if you know I have'm uh, dealing with uh, this one unrealistic client who wants you know fifty percent above the market rent it's gonna take a year yeah. but if uh, if you're at market rent, uh, the product is presentable, you're easy to communicate with, and you're responsive. It, it takes, it's much faster than if you would do it yourself than if you would have an internal team and, uh, yeah, to give a specific time for eight units, f- four to six weeks.
0: Wow. Yeah. And what's your pitch? Like pitch, pitch me as if I was, a, I had a bunch of units. Yeah.
1: So the main points, uh, in our pitch is we're very confident in our approach so we don't ask for exclusivity that's one so obviously yeah that's super there's you know we're, we're super flexible with like cancellation of mandates um, there's no financial commitment in any way we actually get paid on commission but we invest in marketing before even renting a single apartment um, it's uh, you know you're having a team of 20 people for you know there's an industry stra- standard pricing and a broker will likely charge a very similar rate than us, but it's one individual, two hands. You're getting forty for the same price. We're w- we positioned ourselves to be a much safer bet. So yeah, it's really uh, it's it's an offering that's that's not comparable to anything else, and we we worked super hard to bring it to that. It's yeah. not it's not overnight that it became like that those arguments but at first it was really uh you know trying to get people to trust us being super flexible about our conditions promising them if they're not happy they get out we give them back the keys you're done and that's it
0: yeah that's a super interesting business model man i love it and you guys consider yourself a marketing agency like we spoke about it a bit before, but obviously Nick, you know, now that Nick has his own marketing agency and stuff like that. So he'll probably have a lot more knowledge. Well, he definitely has a lot more knowledge than me in this space, but I'm curious, can you take us through that aspect of your business? How are you running the
1: ads, where you're posting them, stuff like that? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, we're, we're not a brokerage. We're, I define us, us as a sales and marketing agency. We're, um. We really run ads everywhere. So there's property, the real estate specific websites, there's centrist, there's social media marketing. And it's really, it's an approach where since we're non-exclusive, it depends where the owner himself is doing his internal advertising. So we need to be very careful of not doubling them mm-hmm. on the ads, taking their leads.
2: So it depends. And you guys are doing like Facebook lead gen, Google, um, like, what What are some of the methods that you guys are, are utilizing? It's mostly classified websites and Facebook, Instagram ads. Yeah. And then, so, like, walk me through, like, the process, essentially, because, obviously, you know, lead gen. So, you guys are, someone sees an ad, they fill out the form. No. Do you put them in nurturing sequence? Like, how does it roll out? Yeah. So,
1: they show an interest in an ad. We pick up the lead. Qualified. Make sure we're not going to waste our time with this person. Make sure he's qualified, you know, on different factors related to the apartment. If it looks good, we'll book a visit with them, show them the place. If they're interested in the place, they fill up an application, send us all relevant documentation, and uh, we send that to the owner. We know if it's approved or not, and then uh,
2: we're ready to sign a lease. And you guys are qualifying them through, like, questions, surveys on Facebook? Or like through a landing page? Like what are some of the ways? They so we, do it?
1: We, we, once we get the lead, we usually move to email or phone number. And then we ask very basic questions about them being qualified, not only on, you know, um, their credit and employment, but more also, you know, making sure that this is, you know, an area they like. This
2: is the size they're looking for, move in dates, etc. And you had mentioned, and I don't know if you have a question, but you had mentioned that you guys like your offer is kind of, you invest your own dollars right into the marketing. So there is no risk on them. It's really like they have a place. You guys are spending your own budget. Do you guys like budget for it? Like in regards to like, you know, okay, this is going to cost me about $10,000 or a $1,000. Like what's that process for that in regards to like, you have a new client and you want to do it. Like, is there like a certain budget or how does that work?
1: Yeah, for sure. So obviously, uh Depends on the size of the project. I'm not. We're not going to look at two hundred units marketing-wise, investment-wise, the same way as ten. Correct. And uh, you know, we we also have a very very good knowledge of pricing and how fast a rent gets absorbed in a certain area. So before we even start advertising, we know, because we have so many comparables. We we have every product type, every price range every area in inventory so it's really even before finalizing a contract with the owner we know if we're gonna rent
0: and where do you have the most success like what platform is it facebook marketplace is it
2: kijiji yeah probably facebook and instagram yeah yeah people underestimate facebook everyone always says oh facebook shit but i'm telling you dude that's where we get the most success get the best cost per lead get very qualified people Google, on the other hand... Google Ads likes. is really good. Google then. Ads is good, but it's so expensive, yeah. man. So expensive. Yeah. And
1: yeah. the problem is if the leads aren't well-managed, it's Google Ads is not volume. But the leads are extremely high quality. And if they're the person handling them aren't handling them properly, it's a waste. You're but, wasting mm, your money. Yeah, but Google Ads are very good. They're yeah. much more qualified. Yeah.
0: yeah. And do you guys prioritize that at
1: all or, yeah. or much less because yeah. of the risk it, it really depends on the the mandate like i said there's some where you know the owner has his brand for the project and his brand is going to sell and get leads on google yeah I a see. lot of the times we pick those up so yeah we also advise a bit on marketing uh you know we should talk about that after yeah. and we uh we advise on marketing which areas to to look at more which websites but yeah it, it really depends. It's and
0: is it all in house your marketing? Yeah. So you guys, are, you're running all the ads. Do you yeah. hire somebody
1: specifically to run the ads for you in house? No. In-house? the The marketing uh, guy is really Gabriel. He he handles Really. That. He has the whole strategy from day one. Yeah. He'll go and thing. he'll
0: run the ads himself too on yeah, Facebook yeah, yeah. and everything. Yeah. Oh wow, interesting. Yeah. Love it. He just took it on
1: himself and just rolls with it. Yeah. He's wow. uh, he's he's very good with data optimization, testing different things and. Yeah. Does he take courses for it or anything? He's done, he's done a lot. He's very knowledgeable about it oh, wow. from his previous business. So it helped us a lot. Yeah, yeah,
0: super interesting. All right, so let's go into the next thing. I wanted to speak to you about the teams, your team and employees, because you have such a massive team. I actually went to your office too in Westmount Square, beautiful office, and I was shocked how many people you have in there because it's not something I guess – I don't know. I just didn't know. It's not very common that somebody has, especially you're super young – that you have you know, a team of 20 people, 30 people working. It's wild. And I believe they're all on payroll, right? Yeah, most of them. Yeah. So how do you, first off, how do you even hire that many people? Where do you find them?
1: Yeah, so that's... how's that was my question. I was like, <laughs> damn,
0: this guy's got 30 people, you know? That's one of the most difficult things that, that I experience and so many people experience. And, yeah, they use headhunting companies and stuff, but I don't know. I'm curious what you do.
1: Yeah. Look, the people, they're out there it's just they really have to resonate with what you do so people think it's hard to hire it's not hard to hire there's people that want to work there's just you have to know what your values are and if the person who's in the interview has them but it's you know if you're you got to pay well that's for sure (laughs) if if you're hoping to get rock star hires without paying well forget it so that too you know People tend to complain. I can't find. How much are you paying them? Are you paying them above, like, the rate, the market rate? Um, and yeah, you, um, you kind of know. Like we, me and Gabriel, we have this thing where, like, you know, if we don't see ourselves hanging out with that person, we're probably not gonna hire them. That's interesting. Yeah, you have to have like this, because uh, it's culture, right? Yeah. It's Super important. Without culture, there's nothing, and you have to have really good culture for people to like to come into work. For people to like the work and for people to look forward to work the next day yeah yeah
0: i want to get super deep into that specifically like your hiring process but even before that how are you getting the volume of people to, to like uh, where how are you interviewing yeah. these people for where are sure. you finding them so
1: we uh we actually obviously inbound leads indeed you gotta have a budget for that you gotta keep that machine going all the I've time i've heard
0: horrible things about indeed i'm i'm surprised
1: we we've gotten uh 25 30 percent of our hires from wow indeed. you just have to you, it's a lot indeed is the equivalent of facebook l- facebook leads it's volume you have to be really able to filter through them and know which one is you know the golden one <laughs> 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 yeah it's the same thing and after the second avenue so that one we we really figured it out on our own we did our own headhunting So we would reach out to people, a lot of people. And we got a lot of hires through that ourselves. So
0: poaching kind of, but not really?
1: Yeah, exactly. Obviously not, you know, never clients. More people that we see, you know, they have like nice headlines on LinkedIn. They look like they're hungry. They're young. They have energy. Um, Yeah, a lot of uh, headhunting we did ourselves. I love uh, that. Yeah.
0: So that's another, let's say, 30%. 30% 30% from Indeed and yeah. then where does the rest come from? And then referrals
1: from really? people who are internal, who have friends that think would be good for this and who refer their friends, yeah. Do you ask? Yeah, we ask all the time. Yeah. Yeah, we give bonuses also for it. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I'm curious to know, because obviously, you know, you, you're, we're all young, right? What, what would you say is the biggest challenge with having a large team that like, what are some takeaways that you can maybe, you know, someone building up their team, uh, 30 40 people that you can say like hey like if I would go back in time These are some of the mistakes that they can avoid um,
1: Super cliche, but firing fast hiring slow So that's really important when you when you hire someone you obviously believe in them You take them in you train them you invest resources in them time other people's time and sometimes it gets so deep that you, you f- know the person's not the right fit yet you give another chance and another chance that's something where if you feel like you have a bad apple you really gotta get rid of it quick or else like it pollutes everything there's actually a study so someone from our team showed showed me this and uh, it's p- scientifically proven that if you're sitting beside someone that's productive and that likes what they do you're 35 Your productivity will likely go up by 35%, no, by 15%. And if you're sitting next to someone that's negative, that complains, that's not, you know, very positive about their work, your productivity goes down by 35%. Results and productivity. And in sales, super important. Because then it's all mindset. It's It's the the most important. Yeah. Yeah. And when you get these people
0: in the office and stuff, how are you, you know judging on their quality of their work because some people it's results oriented but other people maybe it's a bit harder if they're not in sales how are you judging these people across
1: the board whether or not they're good look they got to produce for sure performance is the number one thing but they have to show that you know they're ready to work hard that they're motivated someone who works hard you got to give a second chance someone who doesn't find excuses you have to give them a second chance even if they're not performing you can't they're 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 sweating into this you you have to train try just try but you know if uh if you have someone who starts complaining starts affecting others top performers potentially that one person could bring Do, do you guys know what fifa ultimate team is yeah yeah okay so fifa ultimate team you have a 99 chemistry team let's say they're all spaniards main league in spain and then you put one player from third league in france who is not spanish in the team chemistry is going to go down by like 10 15 points on 100 if it's one guy right Mm -hmm, yeah it's the same thing in a team especially in sales
0: yeah i see that too with my business and even other businesses that i've been a part of you got to get rid of the people that are lazy it sets the bar for everybody else if you hire only a plus players other people are just going to feel super left out when they're not a plus players it's just it's you know it makes perfect sense it's also about becoming the people that you spend the most time with you know what i mean if you're in an office with a bunch of killers and they're doing all amazing you're going to do amazing most likely Mm -hmm. and the opposite everybody's going to do shit so I, i couldn't agree with that more Yeah, So what are like the most important characteristics would you say of the people that you end up hiring? I know you said you want to be friends with them and stuff and hang out with them Mm -hmm. or you would you would they would be somebody you would consider doing that with. But what else what other
1: characteristics, honesty, stuff like that? Yeah, for sure. So number one, you know, you have the basics, respectful, honest after. That you know, hopefully the person has that that's the bare minimum someone who wants to grow professionally but also personally who's open to it at least very important someone who's hard working um and yeah also someone who likes to take initiative but smartly you know not trying to change the system two weeks in. like you know they start performing knowing the system little things yeah that and how do you judge these traits during an interview or whatever? Um, I hope potential hires aren't looking at this right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking for myself, to be yeah. quite honest. <laughs> um, so you really look for certain keywords based on questions you ask, the standard questions. You know, we, it's always the same questions that come up. Um, and you also try to l- get those kinds of values out of the answers they give based on experiences. So, you know... What did you do before this? Uh, what happened? Can you tell me a little bit more about the ex- that experience? Then you see if, you know, they don't speak well about who they worked with or, you know, they just just based on the answers they give you from experiences, you have to be able to get the, the right points out of it. And also, you know, you can, you can tell some of it. It's intuitive. It's hiring is very it's based on gut feeling like it's very based on gut feeling. And how many interviews do you do? You've probably been doing for two, three years at least uh, on average five, four or five a week
0: or five wow. a week and, but how many I meant more that's an insane amount of interviews, but it makes sense because yeah. of how massive your team yeah. has grown so quickly. But I mean more, this is your candidate. You do your first interview. How many interviews before you make a decision? Because you were saying hiring slow. Yeah. what does
1: that look like? It's a uh, it's a tricky thing because if you're trying to grow your business, you need to have hiring goals potentially, but hiring goals are they can make you like just want to reach your goal, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you might make the wrong hire. So now w- we it's more you know just if it's not a yes, it's a no. <laughs> you <know>? yeah, 100%. <laughs> like I I tell this to to Gabriel all the time. Now we're really on the same page with that. But if there's like an inch of doubt about the interview. From him or from me? Uh, no, forget it. no wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to be like yes, one hundred percent. Like I know this person's a rocket. Yeah.
0: And do they lie a lot? Do you find you you think that they're a rocket because they said all the right things, they told you all the right stories, and then they come in and
1: and they just they suck. Yeah, there's some people that are very good at interviews. You know, <laughs> that's <laughs> that's for sure. There's some people that put on a show, and then two, three weeks in, you're like, wow. Like, this is not what I thought, but it's hard. You know, it's hard. You have to trust people. You have to. you let them in, you have to trust them. And hopefully, uh, you know, you don't get disappointed. But yeah, it's really based on gut that as well. And um, now I'm I, curious
2: because you said getting rid of the bad apples, right? Yeah. From your experience now, like, what is it like? How long do you usually allow a bad apple to stay? Is it a month, two months? That you kind of like, you know what' it's just not a right fit, you kind of like let them go, yeah, honestly,
1: you know after like one or two weeks, you really know it's just you also we we have middle management, so it's it's uh it's kind of tricky because you want to show middle management you believe in them that maybe they could make this person the right person, but also you have to take the right decision so. If someone works hard and they show they work hard and we see early signs of, you know, them being productive, them, you know, being positive on the work, starting get, getting friendly, doing stuff that someone wouldn't typically do two, three weeks in. That's for sure good signs. But also if, uh, you know, we start seeing someone coming in later or, you know, not respecting deadlines um, even very little like early signs. Like me, for example, like uh if I send the calendar invite to a hire and they don't accept it, that's already like a sign for me. I'm not a big fan of this. A hundred percent. Or they accept it four hours after, you're not that enthusiastic. You should have accepted it at the second. <laughs> <laughs> so also just knowing how to do these common things that you need to know yeah, in business. Exactly. 100%. Questions on the contract too, you know? could show signs of mistrust, not a good foundation of starting, like stuff like that. And then what do you judge? Like what, what do you kind of record? You
0: know, how do I word this? Like what are some of the results that you're recording from your employees that dictate if they're performing well or, or not performing well at all?
1: For sure, you know, it's uh, amount of leases signed. So that's like the one metric. It's, it's, it's very... It's very hard to track a lot in what we do. We have, I told you guys how many units, 2,000. Mm -hmm. You can imagine the amount of leads we get in a week. It's the amount of leads we get in one day. It's probably close to, it's probably between like 500 and 700 in one day. That's nuts. Across every channel. So it's like very hard to track conversion. It's very hard to track, you know, how well the leads are handled but the ultimate step and that also we put a lot of trust in middle management on showing people the right systems the right processes but really it's lease assigned and being at the top of results it it's a it's a bit competitive yeah but yeah. so that's for sales and then for management management you know they have to be accountable for whoever's under them for sure it's, uh, do you have criteria
0: for them specifically? I call it criteria in this business. Like they have specific criteria that they all need to do, that I measure their success and performance on.
1: Yeah, honestly, we're not such big uh, KPI guys. We yeah. go more with like feeling. It's there's nothing like tangible. It's like, okay, how is this? How is he? What What do we do with this person? Okay, let's let's try this. Let's do this tr- type of training send this person with that person he's good at that shadow him with this it's really like just adapting are you guys very
0: spiritual kind of leaders or or does that leak into your business a lot because i know off camera you were mentioning about you could when you're cold calling you could feel that you're gonna close this lead and then you you call them and you close them or you have a really good chance of closing them does that and now you're talking about a lot about the gut feelings and stuff I, I agree with all these things I'm not the people who thinks I'm not the the person that thinks that these things are fairy tale weird fairy dust stuff yeah I, I believe in them as well but I just want to know how do you conceptualize that type of
1: activities? yeah honestly we, we we take a lot of you know just decisions in general I find usually are taken on feelings like sometimes you have the facts you have the data but you still don't feel it. You just have to feel it. It's yeah, we're, we're pretty spiritual in that way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it's more just your gut, like uh, above anything else. It's yeah. not about necessarily manifesting with things. People, or for th- sure. It's just yeah. your gut feeling yeah. when you're dealing with these with these things.
1: Yeah. With people. Yeah. It's you have to feel the person like I, I, I know, but bef- like five minutes into a call, I know if this is not a closed client, let's say someone we I know if this person is going to be a difficult client.
2: Yeah. Right. Oh, bro! I I already know. <laughs> Just from the second they get on the call, the first word you're like, "Okay, you know." Yeah. What? What's a tell? What?
0: What? What? What turns your gut off? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Negotiating. On like the first calls, like if someone goes for like a negotiation, like five minutes into speaking to you for the first time, like that's like, yeah okay this person's about price about cost doesn't recognize value i'm gonna have a hard hard time with this this person <laughs> what do you think about
2: that i mean for me it's really different like i find i agree but i also know like certain people certain of my clients that you just want facts like you know what i mean like hey, I, I you also got to know what for me personally is like i know this client like you know It's more off like we'll talk about their kids is that where I know other clients they just want boom KPIs this 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 so I think it's also feeling out but for me it's really more just like do I want to work with this person whereas like back in the day I used to kind of just take anyone you know cuz I was like I I, you know you want to make sales that I would just take anyone and then I was just so miserable working with the client just not like it wasn't even worth it even if they paid me a million dollars a month I, I was just like so like i just didn't really enjoy it and i was just bending so now it's more just seeing okay you know is this someone i really want to work with for years to come if yes then that's kind of we go but like you said right from the beginning you can kind of you can kind of tell
0: yeah exactly i agree with that and Gabe, your partner, does he agree with all these things? Yeah, he sure. does. The, which which things?
1: Everything you're saying. Everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we really like m- like we're different people, but like we molded into like having the same kind of like beliefs in business. It's very funny, but yeah, we we th- there's there's times where we disagree, but when we know, we know. You know, if one of us knows, they just know,
0: and <laughs> you trust each other like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. If like if one person's gut is saying yes and the other one's no, you go with the no. Hundred no percent.
1: Yeah. There's I just like times that. where I'm like, like he's like, trust me, I know this. And then there's other times where I'm like, like I'm sure, and like there might have been like five no's before that, and then it's just like, okay, let's go. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and do you guys keep track of your of your decision making skills? No. No. That too, it's really, yeah, we're not, uh, we, we, we're not like, we don't have like, a, the man, we're not the manual code of conduct type of people. It's really, we just go and we see what happens.
0: That's probably <laughs> why you guys get along so well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I was, I was, Gabriel is very like spontaneous and like a lot more like of that kind of mentality. I wasn't before I became that, but yeah, we, we really were like super uh, open and like decisions and like all that kind of stuff.
0: And how did you guys get on the same page for all these different beliefs that you had? Cause now you said you, you kind of merged together. Did you, previously, would you guys sit down together and hash out ideas and argue with each other? And then you guys basically, after discussing, you kind of
1: form these new beliefs that are your core beliefs in business or. Yeah. Well at the start, you know, in any kind of situation ship, uh, getting married, getting into a business partnership, being friends with someone. There's like core values that you need to have to get to that point with that person. So that, you know, the foundation has always been there. But after with trial and error, there's different personality types. That's where, you know, you have to be able to know, okay, so this situation, I have to compromise. That situation, uh, you know, this, even if I don't agree, I, if I don't agree with it, I, I have to uh but with time you know we built through trial and error through successes through failures like a credibility in each of our own eyes on different things and it just keeps on evolving
0: honestly and does that come naturally because the reason I'm asking is because, our last episode we had one of the founders of uh, midday squares jake carls mm-hmm. and one of the biggest things well actually he mentioned it was the biggest and most important thing for their business was that the partners all went to therapy or or yep. performance to a performance coach is another way that he puts it mm-hmm. do you guys do any of that no <laughs> nothing at all no, no performance we'll, coach
1: we'll uh we'll, we'll travel or we'll go out if we we need to we need to settle stuff no we're not we're, we're very open you know, in, in our communication styles and they're different, which helps. But no, never uh, never went through that. Never. It's interesting though, but no.
0: Yeah. And no coach at all, no mentor that kind of tells you guys how to
1: get over certain disputes or deal with certain <laughs> disputes. No, honestly, it's very rare that people have partnerships and they're open about speaking because it's like such a... There's always baggage in successful partnerships. It's like taboo. If you're working alone it's very different you're you dealt with yourself the whole time mm-hmm. but if you've been successful with someone for 10 15 years like there's there's always baggage it, it it's very rare that it's all you know like positive and oh yeah it's this person especially when like the lifestyles start to change you know mm-hmm. you start young one gets married the other still you know like things like that and then there's different like especially if you were friends before socially it changes I don't. We do have people who we speak to, clients that we're very close with, that you know, like mentor us in a way, give us a lot of advice. But no, it's a very uh, specific situation we have. There's not many people who have the same thing. So you're saying you
0: don't experience all those those hardships of a partnership? No,
1: no, yeah, we do. But like, there's some people. Let's say that we would ask for advice from. They've done it for a much longer time, and it's like you you got to be careful because you never know how it is you know, behind closed doors. It's like Mm -hmm. you want to, you don't want to get into something, especially if you, it's a client or you work with them. It's delicate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, I've been alone in business because I had partnerships previously and the businesses were horrible anyways, but the partnerships never worked out. So it just spooked me and I just always wanted to be alone in business. So I knew that all the decision-making was on me, um, you know any problems that we face like there was no excuses there was no blame for anybody else there was also a big thing for me was how many how many hours i'm putting into it how much how much of myself my blood sweat and tears am i putting into this business versus the partner so i never wanted to get into those type of disagreements but i guess speaking to you i guess i would i mean you you should correct me if i'm wrong but i guess if you're in a partnership like any other partnership relationship marriage if you're committed to working through the issues and both people are open to you know growing and learning and stuff like that then it'll probably be a lot easier to get over these things as opposed to holding everything in not communicating and just not changing whatsoever
1: yeah 100 percent. you need to uh you really need to be you know open you need to trust if you get disappointed you learn if you don't good you move on to something else and then as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger you know there's obviously becomes more complicated for issues but there's always times where no one in a partnership is the exact same works the exact same hours has the same that's not it's never gonna work if that's like the kind of trying to be like absolutely equal on everything there's times you know where that's where the understanding part comes in one person is in a less good phase and feels less productive and the other usually you know it's just the balance that's what helps when you're with someone is when you're alone and you're not going through the best phase you have to pick yourself back up (laughs) it's much harder yeah you're fucked yeah and on the other end it's very rare by the way that two people are exactly at the same level I think since we started we've always there's always been changes going on but yeah just picking up the other person when someone else is less and Vice versa, yeah.
2: I agree. I have a business partner as well, and same thing. You know, like you never know what someone's going through, family wise, or anything like that. So you can't look at it like equal, equal, or else it'll just kind of eat you up, and yeah. you'll get frustrated. Hundred percent. You know, you gotta, you gotta be like, okay, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of switch it. Like it's a marriage. It, it, it's literally like a marriage. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it
0: is a hundred percent. And do you foresee yourself staying in business? Forever together or doing other ventures yeah, together? For sure. So we're actually uh we're actually starting
1: to invest in real estate. Yeah, now. exactly. So yeah, we're we're gonna do that together, you know. It's uh real estate is something we're we're probably gonna do together for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, that
2: that's pretty much and it. And I'm just curious, obviously you guys are building the company quick, you guys very successful with the team. Is there an end goal that you guys said, you know what, let's exit or what is kind of like the end goal in regards that you guys are working towards if there's one?
1: For sure. Mm, the end goal would be obviously the, the leasing business has you know, a lot of potential, but could we have the entire Montreal... It's a logistics-based business. You ought to have people who do visits physically, drive. So it, it limits your scale, but for sure possibly opening new cities big metropolitan cities where the logistics make sense uh where you know there's a lot of rental projects not condos like a city like toronto for example would not work um there's some cities that would work just we're still not sure of which ones but yeah for sure that would be the next step for first days and then you know uh building up a portfolio and doing making acquisitions at the same time and obviously giving more responsibility to some people in middle management to help us, you know, when we're trying to do those two things and having always first days as our operating business.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's go through the acquisitions because we spoke about this as well, about how we could potentially help each other out for that. Um, you know, just to start off like, uh, How do you underwrite the deals how are you looking for the deals well actually first and foremost how are you underwriting
1: the deals that you're looking at okay for sure you know we're looking for optimization projects so it's really based on potential um it has to obviously look like a great deal if you have to you know tweak this look at that let's change this this that nope you know when you're starting real estate you got to hit home runs mm-hmm. especially if you know you have no one else to rely on it's like one goes wrong doesn't succeed everything you've worked so hard to get to this point is done so it like really trying to aim for home runs in the early days that's what we're trying to do um
0: and what the what does a home run look like specific cap rate uh just cap rate doesn't upside. Matter. entry cap
1: rate doesn't matter because we're we're looking for upside um obviously our knowledge of rents helps us a lot in underwriting deals we see things that a lot of people can't see because of the the information we have and um i tell you you know 20 percent below market value 25 yeah looking at that and then once you know we've built up a lot of equity in different projects then maybe the standards can go down and go more for you know much more urban areas where you know, there might be less. No. Rent growth is important also. Yeah. That's
0: really also based on a lot of feeling. And then like, uh, when you're buying the property, let's say, are you looking for something that's already renovated or good foundation, things like that, or really it's all about the rents in place versus what
1: you could bring it to in the, and the
0: purchase price.
1: Yeah. It's about, uh, the potential week of rent increases. And, uh, the work there is to be done now is you know the rents are going crazy it's all over the news everyone speaks about it so you know you could renovate less and have as much in rent and uh, that's more you know we're not probably not going to do like the crazy full gut kind of strategy it's much more difficult today it takes more time and also you're not getting much more in rent based on what we've seen so far but yeah it's really looking at the rents you get knowing that at the notary this is a good deal not okay it's going to be a good deal in 12 months like no we can celebrate this like i tell this to gab it's like if we can celebrate at the notary we're good if we don't feel like we should i don't even like we shouldn't even do it <laughs> uh, you're making money on
0: the buy that's exactly the most thing. for sure and then let's say the building is fully occupied we have crazy laws that protect tenants. Yeah, I mean, arguably, whether they're good or not is not really what I'm concerned about, but Mm -hmm. it's just very challenging as a landlord to increase your rents because of the laws in place. Similar to how, I guess, New York would operate and some of these other states in in the US. Montreal's really intense with with how much they protect the tenant. So then you're looking at a property and they have their 50% below market rents and the price is decent how do you look at how do you look at increasing the rents with all these
1: laws in place yeah for sure so you know we're i'm i'm a big believer of being ethical staying honest but you still have a goal you got to do what you can to achieve it it's a very fine line but you have to do it with patience like it's when you're not patient that shit hits the fan and bad things end up happening it's cuz you start applying pressure and then you have financial pressure from whatever rate you're on and you want to finish the project and your loan and this and that. So you, I feel like you have to have a generous timeline to take this into account so that you don't feel like you put your pressure of getting the project done on, you know, existing tenants. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yes, usually you have to try to work deals with them. But if it doesn't, it doesn't, we don't project, you know, get everyone out of the building it has to make sense also if you know some people don't mind staying and you know there's turnover also montreal is a city that turns over a lot and you have to be generous too with that you can't you know just break the door down and tell them get out you have to you have to give something generous and you have to do it in a humane way also i really believe that if you do it that way it's gonna work out in your favor and it's it's gonna be a win-win
0: yeah i like that i like that because that was one of the biggest reasons for me why i stopped you know, doing deals in, in residential and doing deals in multifamily because you have to kick out people that are living there to be able to increase the rent. Otherwise, you literally cannot increase the rent on them more than X amount per year. And if somebody didn't increase the rent for them, if, if somebody never increased the rent for that tenant and they're still paying 500 bucks, let's say, you could still only increase that tenant by x amount of percent per year right i believe that's the case yeah. so it's just super challenging and then i just didn't like the business of displacing all these people that are paying low rent because obviously i mean they can't afford more that's a major reason why they've been there for all these years paying that same amount of rent instead of buying something or moving up to a nicer you know, apartment. So I just didn't like it. That's why I went into industrial. So it's nice to see that uh, there's still good people in the in the industry, but still not hiding the fact that look, for 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 the seller of the building to sell and get a good price, a buyer needs to be able to increase the rent. And for you to buy something and make money with it, then you also need to be able to increase rent. So obviously something needs to happen there. So I like the, I like your approach with the tenants and it's nice cause you don't see that very often uh, in this, in this industry. That's you sure.
1: got to play the long game. And honestly, I speak to so many people, people that, you know, have had issues about this kind of stuff and I learned from it and your name is so important, especially when it comes to that, you need to be liked, you need to be seen as humane. And when you don't, it really starts, you know, to impact you in ways that you didn't even think of. So it's like uh, we, we've really seen it all with some people who we work with, and we, uh, we're we really trying to, to be cautious about that. Yeah. I like that. And how do you underwrite that within your
0: deal? Like, how do you underwrite the probability of turning
1: over specific tenants or not? You don't. You can't put, you know, you could underwrite an amount, but... It's very hard to predict. That's like the one thing that could be completely out of your control. But if you play the long game, if you stay patient, if you know you you stay respectful, it's it's going to I believe it works in your favor. If you're a good person in life, it just works in your favor. I like it. I like it. Yeah, you're very much a gut
0: feeling
1: doing (laughs) good. I like it. I'm the same exact way man. and giving also giving back. nice you got to do that too that's that's a part of that if you're doing something like that especially like you can't just put it in your pocket you got to give it back also
0: i love it i love it and also financing when it comes to financing what's your goal with this with these acquisitions
1: yeah so um you know giving offers that have uh, very good financing conditions that you know really look appealing to a vendor to get in you know s- maybe probably using private money okay lenders it is more expensive uh from an interest rate perspective and but you uh you'll make you'll make sure you get the property you want so really the strategy is to close with a bridge loan pretty yeah, much exactly getting your project done um getting your renovations financed and uh refinancing out of that loan okay through a standard loan so you'll hold the bridge loan, the high
0: interest bridge loan, until you're you've unlocked all the upside, increased all the rents, yeah. did all the rentals, and yeah. then you'll you'll refinance with a with like a normal institution. Exactly. CMHT as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so the classic strategy for, for commercial. Exactly. But you'll never try to get your term loan with like
1: a regular bank right away? At the purchase, no. Right now, uh delays it's number one. You know, if you want to be aggressive, you got to give good conditions, but good delays. Too. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, they ask for uh, a lot of equity into mm-hmm. the, the loan. So it's like you you can't leverage yourself as much. It's m- I, I much rather leverage myself and put less equity into a bridge loan than doing that.
0: And because it's commercial, they don't really care much about your income, right? It's more
1: about the deal yeah it's property specific yeah it's uh, you, the properties value not yourself six units and up maybe, maybe i think there's one that does five but i think it's six units enough for most of them and uh, yeah you just show your business plan you show what you're gonna do with it your track record and then uh yeah you hope it uh, works out and you get what you projected to get yeah
0: exactly <laughs> nice
1: <laughs> that's the biggest
0: thing yeah and then how are you finding these deals do you cold call? Do you do
1: you do off market or it's well, centrist? We're, we're really just getting started. So the the first um, the first one it was on the market, speaking to brokers. We're really trying to you know, first, first steps just use going through the normal system, but yeah, eventually uh, we're we're expecting to do a lot of off market and building a separate machine for that. Nice, but um, yeah, now it's really just. Building a proper system, the r- normal way, uh, getting the right connections, uh, making the mistakes you have to make on a first, second project, and then once we we go through that phase, we'll we'll start expanding and looking at different avenues for sure. Okay. Yeah.
0: And then cold calling, I put it here, but I guess I put it in the wrong, the wrong. Uh, That's fine. <laughs> the wrong place. But you, you were talking about more cold calling when you call clients for first days the the people that you want to for your clients that you're leasing their apartments for Mm -hmm. and you were mentioning that you don't call it's not a numbers game for you cold calling which is i would say pretty pretty different of an opinion to have on cold calling than most every other sales company or sales team so take us through your strategy
1: for cold calling So, obviously, it's not a numbers game if you have information about the lead. But if you get the information through the call, like, for what we do, I'll know before the call if the person is qualified. I can find stuff. But if you just have a list of leads and you need to... You have no idea if this one or this one or this one could be more qualified or not, you got to put up some numbers. But the approach I've used for our business is really, you know looking at uh, the kind of company the size uh, the 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 management team seeing the different positions uh, how big property management is and uh, seeing if their size is a fit with our typical client size and then I'll know I'll know if the lead is qualified for us and they'll sense it through my call that I'm certain of it and that's it and it's very different if you're let's say I haven't we haven't really done it yet, but for off-market deals, you know, you have a list of a hundred leads. You have no idea who's going to be open to sell or not. So that you can't. You're going to get FOMO about that one lead if you don't call it. Maybe that person, you know, you have to call. You have to put up some serious numbers for that kind of. Well, I, I
0: actually agree with you, though. We like. Um, I agree that. I mean, I think it's both. Both things are important, but you can't have one without the other. I think that if you're just flying through a list. With whatever you're doing you're going to have a lot less success but maybe it's a small cheap product or something that you're selling so you you just need numbers and volume to get somebody to say yes but if it's something big important it's a huge financial commitment i think you do need to do a lot of background research on these people and also if you're in the market for something like that something like a big purchase there's probably quite a bit of information on you online you know what i mean at least on social media and stuff like that but i'm assuming it is a numbers game more for
1: the people in your office that are calling yeah. to lease. Yeah, that's you. that is a numbers yeah, game. Yeah, exactly. Visits, leads, following up. Yeah, but, you know, owners with a thousand doors in Montreal, there's not 100, yeah. 200. Yeah. You have to really be super intentional about the time, the way you speak to them, like the, 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 the call, the time. You can't call at 630. It's like, I'm done. I don't work anymore. <laughs> Like you have to be very, very cautious about these things, but no, very different than uh than the usual cold calling,
0: yeah, exactly, yeah. and then
1: the days that you call the times that you call, yeah, so yeah, that's super uh super interesting, so people are more likely to say yes to things in the morning, <laughs> fun fact, maybe not on a Monday morning, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, um mornings are good um afternoons as well usually times where your meetings for the day are done um i find thursday afternoons a good time usually it's towards the end of the week it's time where someone is still very involved in work but also looking forward to the next day and has a certain positivity and is very open i'm a big fan of thursday afternoons (laughs) i agree and uh yeah i'm not uh i I don't like doing sales on mondays at all you don't do sales at all all on monday no and do you do fridays fridays are tricky in the summer it could be complicated especially if you're trying to reach executive people that you know have uh, that go up north that travel a lot they're likelier to maybe not take calls on sunday they could work but not take calls or not be at the office at all um But Fridays are good. They have been good. Friday
2: mornings are very good, I find. The mornings are definitely good for Fridays. Afternoon, personally, people are more like, ugh, they're fed up. They're like, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about it next week or call me back next Monday or Tuesday. We'll we'll," Like, they kind of brush you off. They're like done with the week and they want to pack it up.
0: And you know what's funny? For Friday, I used to have like a couple scenarios that would happen. Either it was the guy that was super annoyed, you know, just was checked out for the weekend, didn't want to deal with anything business related, or they just wouldn't be in the office in general at all. But then I when I used to call a lot, I used to I, I would run into the people that I couldn't get a hold of during the week. But now nobody else is in the office. So I'm getting a hold of that person specifically because he's the last person in the office. And so I've had some of the best calls I've ever had on Fridays because they were the only person in the office and he's the owner and stuff he's staying late he's working there's not that many of them that stay that late and work that hard at that level Mm -hmm. specifically in commercial real estate and stuff like that or people that own a bunch of property in commercial real estate but um i've had a lot of success with fridays to be honest it just depends okay we'll start calling on fridays (laughs) (laughs) yes sir (laughs) and then uh Well, we'll we'll kind of end on these last couple of things, your routine, supplements, work life balance,
1: stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So I'm uh, I'm huge on, you know, if your personal life isn't good, your professional life is not going to be good. You're not going to attract the good things. You're not going to be successful at what you do. Waking up at the same time, sleeping at the same time, gym in the morning, no brainer, gym in the afternoon, you're probably going to be getting calls. You're gonna lose focus at the gym. You're not gonna be focused on your work. Not a huge fan of working out in the afternoon. Um, what time do you wake up? What time do you go to bed? We don't. I. I'm not. i am not i am not like the six eight. No, I'll wake up like between six thirty and seven, seven thirty, depending on you know the days. But we have a business that works a little bit later, because visits go on to like six thirty seven. We accommodate people who work. So it's like there's a little bit of a delay in our days, so I I I'm, I can't, I don't really wake up super early because I don't have so much stuff to do early. But I'll go to the gym as soon as I wake up, uh, working out. I sauna every day, almost every. Yeah. Me
2: too, every day.
1: Yeah, sauna is it's it just puts you in like such a focused mindset. It clears everything everything and i'll do a cold shower before a sauna and after a sauna also
0: and when do you do this the the sauna after workout after workout every yeah. single time and then you go immediately cold
1: shower right after that i i do a cold shower right after my workout then i jump into the sauna i'll do like 10 15 minutes depending on how fast i need to get out of there but usually between the two i'll do a cold shower after get
0: get ready and just go yeah. and w- and then where do you do your cold plunge you mentioned do you do cold plunge
1: before it's 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 co- cold plunge i'll do like there's like a pool at at my gym that has like a su- it's a very cold small pool but in the week i I don't really do that i'll do really there's a specific cold shower and like uh, it's very very cold it's much harder to do a cold shower than it a it is cold plunge i i pay. agree yeah because <laughs> you're not submerged you're exactly. not fully submerged <laughs> it's
0: brutal man Sorry. brutal And then
1: supplements some of the supplements that you take yeah uh i take the basics vitamin d super important for in montreal stay consistent with that with our winters uh zinc magnesium for energy feel good and just oregano oil depending on the form just for like good immune function i'm not this i i take the basics but i do believe in supplements Yeah, because you saw mine and you asked about them. So I was just curious. yours looked like very researched. I'm not that (laughs) deep into supplements.
0: (laughs) I spend so much money on health and stuff like that. And in the end, I'm back to the same 10 basic supplements that everybody else takes. You know what I mean? It doesn't need to be that complicated is what I've learned after spending a bunch of money on all this shit. Yeah, 100%. But anyway, the next thing I need to buy is at home sauna, cold plunge. That's just I have to. I yeah. have to have it in my house. You know what yeah. I mean?
1: That's the dream. Yeah. Steam rooms also are pretty good, but I'm not... They're good to relax, but I don't feel anything like therapeutic about them. Me neither, them. and they stink, yeah. man. Yeah. They
2: fucking stink. No, awesome. Monster Gems is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I feel like they they just... I don't know. I feel like they take dumps in that place, and they just let them steam out there. It smells that Horrible. bad. yeah. I it know. is literally garbage. And then last last thing okay so goals for first days you already mentioned it's kind of scaling nick had asked you before scaling and going to different areas and stuff like that Mm -hmm. Uh, what about goals for acquisitions
1: yeah so that uh definitely building up a big portfolio multi-res eventually some industrial um montreal mostly very open to the u.s florida specifically yeah um and yeah just building up we're not so much going that far away for now but we have a good idea and we want to have a a significant multi-res portfolio for sure
0: nice and then long-term in general goals
1: you know i i don't see myself working in anything else than real estate for now Maybe I will not feel challenged by it at some point, but you know it's really longer term uh doing new developments m- building um maybe land development that's a much larger scale it's a very long term project, mm-hmm. but possibly if the building part expands a lot um yeah, that's it. It's hard to continue scaling. Exactly. There's a limit to real estate. It's there's like, there's like a cap. Yeah. After that, you got to look at tech. You got to look at private equity. So it's hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah. I fail you. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. Where can anybody meet you or speak to you, reach you? For sure. So LinkedIn, I'm pretty active, not in posting, but I use LinkedIn a lot. Um, You know, first days uh, I have my personal cell phone number on the website email uh and yeah i'm super open to connecting with anyone whether in real estate or not uh for you know any reasons and see uh see what i can do yeah. nice thanks for coming on thank you, you brother thank really you guys it was a it. great talk super thank happy you.